I would ask that you would join me in Genesis 25 this morning. Genesis 25. I want to begin my message this morning with the the preacher's equivalent to the spoiler alert. That is, I want to introduce our study by giving you the conclusion of our study before we do our study. I want to lead with the lesson we will learn before we learn it. Namely this, God is sovereign in choosing men to fulfill his promises and accomplish his purposes. And there are two case studies from Genesis 25 to support this conclusion. The first case study is regarding Abraham's two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, whose genealogies are given to us in Genesis 25. Genesis 25, verse number 12, tells us of Ishmael's genealogies. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. Then if you look at verse number 19, tells us of Isaac's genealogies. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Regarding these two sons, God told Abraham back in Genesis 17, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly, but he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I have established with Isaac. God sovereignly chose Isaac over Ishmael to fulfill his promises and to accomplish his purposes. The second case study, also from Genesis 25, is regarding Isaac's two sons now, Jacob and Esau, who are named beginning in verse number 24, if you look there. So when her days, that is Rebekah's days, were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her, ro- her womb. And just as God chose Isaac over Ishmael, God would choose Jacob over Esau. Romans chapter 9, when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, to Rebekah, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have Hated. And so we begin our study from Genesis 25 with the conclusion. The conclusion is this God is sovereign in choosing men to fulfill his promises and to accomplish his purposes. And from Genesis 25, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, I prepared that, a, a message titled God's Sovereign Choice. Let me pause briefly for prayer. I know we're short on time and we've prayed much, but, but once again, God in heaven, we come now to the Holy Scripture. We ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us from it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God promised, I'm sorry, God purposed and God promised to accomplish his plan through Abraham's son, Isaac. But for the first 20 years of Isaac and Rebekah's marriage, they did not or they could not have children. And just as Isaac's mother, Sarah, was born, now Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was barren. Now Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is also barren. And we're told of many women in the Bible who were barren without children. I've mentioned Sarah and Rebekah. We could also cite 
Rachel and Hannah and Elizabeth. And the fault is not the woman's, for God is the giver of life. The fix is not the woman's, for God is the one who opens the womb. And so in verse 21, if you're looking there, the Bible says that Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife. In fact, look beginning at verse number 19. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. If we look ahead to verse 26, the Bible tells us that Isaac was 60 years old when God answered Isaac's prayer and blessed Rebekah with twins. Number one, the twin boys or the two boys in the womb. And the account begins with the barrenness of Rebekah. I believe the Bible records the barrenness of Rebekah to highlight the hand of God in this event. When we read the scripture, we, we don't only read to learn of the human activity, but we want to read to see the divine actor. The affairs of men are the work of God in man. And woe to us if we don't see the barrenness of Rebecca and the birth of her twin boys as the work of God. Look at verse 22. But the children struggled together within her, the the two boys. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And so the twin boys are born at the same time in the same place to the same parents, yet they were different. There was nothing identical about these twin boys, neither their looks nor their likings. In fact, they were contrary to one another. You might say, but pastor, my children are contrary to each other, right? That's nothing unusual. But in this case, the, battling that was, the battle that was raging within Rebecca was a battle that would play out for the rest of human history. It's what we'll call the battle of the boys. And Rebecca didn't have modern technology and she didn't have medical specialists to help her in her pregnancy. She didn't know if she was carrying a boy or a girl or twins. Perhaps she asked her girlfriends about their prenatal experience. But one thing she did know, there was a war that was raging within her. And so the Lord's explanation to Rebecca in verse 23 was this, two nations are in your womb. The Edomites would descend from Esau. The Israelites would descend from Jacob. And those two nations already at war within her would fight for all of human history per the promises and the purposes of God. Esau came first. He was named Esau, according to verse 25, because he was hairy. In a play on words, he also got the name Edom, In verse 25, meaning red, because at his birth he was red and his desire for Jacob's stew, his red stew, in verse number 30. But we know that from Esau came the line of Edom. The most famous Edomite, or Edomian, we might call it, 
that we know of is Herod the Great, the one who purposed to destroy all of the baby boys in Bethlehem in an effort to eliminate the Christ child. Some have also made the case, you can do the homework on this, that perhaps Adolf Hitler was an Edomian, an Edomite from the line of Esau. Esau came first, Jacob came second. Jacob means supplanter, one who replaces or supersedes another. And although the custom of the day gave the privilege to the elder son, in this case it would go to Jacob, later called Israel, who would receive the blessing per God's sovereign choice as explained in Romans chapter nine. The two boys in the womb, how about this, number two, the two men in the world. The two men in the world. And what was secret in the womb became public in the world as the prenatal conflict was played out in the life of these men. Look at verse 27. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Letter A, the growing conflict. Now, the growing conflict was a consequence of a few differences between these twins. First, and this is not in your notes as subpoints, but perhaps they could be, there were differences in disposition. The, the two men had different dispositions, and I marvel at the different dispositions even of my own children. Each one has a different attitude and a different aptitude and appetite, and it hardly seems possible that my children came from the, the same gene pool because they're all so different, you see. Esau was the masculine outdoor type. He was a hunter. Today, we might say that he was athletic or rugged as a sportsman. Jacob appears to be the quiet type. He was the domestic type. Today, he would be the student or the computer geek, perhaps. They were different in disposition. Secondly, they were different in relationship. That is, relationship with their parents. Isaac favored Esau. Perhaps Isaac could boast of Esau's manliness and his physical achievements, while Rebecca favored Jacob, and perhaps Rebecca enjoyed Jacob's company at the house. They were different in relationship. Third, they were different in growth. In growth, verse 27 says that the, the boys grew. And in this case, I'm not suggesting that the boys grew differently from one another, but rather they grew differently from others in the Bible. Think of Samuel with me. The Bible says that the child Samuel grew before the Lord. It says the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Of John the Baptist, the Bible says the child grew and became strong in spirit. Of Jesus, the Bible says the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. However, of Isaac's two boys, Esau and Jacob, the Bible simply says that they grew. Verse 27. Well, in what way did they grow? Well, we can assume they grew physically from boys to men, but what about spiritually? It's left unsaid. Nevertheless, in time, the divine prophecy regarding these two twin boys in verse 23 would occur, and the opposing principles of Esau and Jacob would have to clash. Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? 
Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's title this The Great Confrontation. The Great Confrontation. The Bible doesn't tell us the age of these boys now, men. From the context, we can understand that they are grown men. And the occasion for the confrontation is self-explanatory. It's simple. Jacob cooked some stew. It would have been a lentil soup, maybe with some meat. Nothing special or out of the ordinary. Esau was hungry and tired from being out in the fields and he asked his brother for some food and Jacob suggested a trade. I'll trade you some soup, some stew for the birthright, a bowl for a birthright. Reminds me of the classic church youth group activity, the bigger and better activity. Perhaps you've, you've played this in the past and, and the way the bigger and better activity goes is that each group begins with something small, like a dollar bill. And each team is dispa- dispatched to trade up from their dollar bill to something bigger or better. And so perhaps with the dollar bill, they, they buy a, a, a book. Maybe with the book, they trade up for a desk chair. Maybe the desk chair they might trade for a camera. Maybe the camera is exchanged for a canoe. And all of the groups then come back at the designated time and, and they boast of, of, of what they have is bigger and better than what the other teams have. And the, the goal is to finish with the, the best. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. There are stories of, of groups returning with all sorts of things, even live animals. Which gives me an idea, I think. No, no. Um, But in Genesis 25, Jacob and Esau are not playing a game of bigger and better. This is not a point of sport. Jacob is offering to exchange a bowl of soup for Esau, the firstborn's birthright. Sometimes the birthright is called the the, the primogenitor. It's the right of inheritance to that firstborn male in the family. And the short story is this. The material aspect of the birthright was valuable. But the spiritual aspect of that birthright in Genesis 25 made it invaluable. And this account is so instructive to us for our lives. Esau traded the permanent for the immediate. Consider how quickly this transaction took place in verse 22. Esau's tired and he's hungry. He evaluates his condition in verse 22. I'm sorry. He says, look, I'm about to die. What is this birthright to me? And folks, the feelings of his flesh caused him to throw away his birthright. But it wasn't just foolish, it was wicked. You might jot in the margin there. Hebrews 12, verse 16 speaks of this. Hebrews 12, verse 16, telling us that Esau was a profane and unholy person who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And folks, that is the immorality of instant gratification, Our flesh wants to exchange our purity for pleasure. Our character for maybe popularity. We want to buy now and pay later. We want to indulge in something immediate. And so we surrender something permanent. You say, but Pastor Matt, we need to pity Esau for a moment here. He was was overcome with fatigue and hunger. 
truth be known, we've all been there in that moment of weakness. We fail like Esau failed, but Hebrews 12 charges us to consider him, consider Jesus. Who was tired and hungry in the wilderness? He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Verse 34 there, if you see the end of verse 34, Esau despised his birthright. Matthew Henry said he went on his way without any serious reflection upon the bad bargain he had made or any show of regrets. He was nonchalant about what he had done. It's the very same conduct of the immoral woman in Proverbs 30, verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Folks, when the temporal, physical appetites are given priority, spiritual things will be pushed aside. And if our Christian lives are packed with food and fun and frivolity, is is it any wonder that we don't care for the things of God, like Bible reading and prayer and worship? Esau traded the permanent for the immediate. Secondly, Jacob traded the earthly for the eternal. Jacob traded the earthly for the eternal, but but let's be careful to acknowledge that Jacob's behavior is not entirely commendable here. In some ways, he was no better than Esau. He was an opportunist. He took advantage of Esau's condition and he capitalized on Esau's dire situation for his own gain. It's like those people who loot buildings after a natural disaster or those who will raise the prices to gouge their customers in a shortage of supply. Jacob exploited Esau like a high-pressure salesman in verse 31, if you're looking there. Sell me your birthright as of this day. And again in verse 33, you see the, the phrase, swear to me as of this day. I remember when Kim and I were newly married, a salesman came to our house selling World Book Encyclopedia Sets. Are you familiar with that? 20 hard-bound volumes. We were promised a gift card to a restaurant if we would listen to the sales pitch. And so as a, sort, as a, as a poor seminary student, uh, I, we in, in, liked the idea of a, of a gift card to a restaurant, so we invited the salesman into our home. And there he offered us that impressive encyclopedia set and other resources for the education of our children, who we didn't have at that point, for upwards of $2,000. But he assured us that there was a payment plan that that he could schedule for us that it probably would have outlasted our 30-year mortgage at the time, of course, you understand. But here was the key. We had to buy the books right then and there. That same evening, there was no time to think about it. We couldn't sleep on it. We couldn't pray about it. The offer was only good right then. And you've all been to these sales pitches. Perhaps the timeshare, right? You have to sign right now. That was the practice of Jacob in this text. Somewhere, I'm sure, along the line, Rebecca had told Jacob of what the Lord told her during her pregnancy back in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb. The older will serve the younger but Jacob took advantage of of that assurance. So here we've read the narrative. And I want to conclude in this way. Know that the Old Testament Bible narrative is not just about man. 
It's about God's hand in the affairs of man. And sometimes we get fascinated with the human characters and and their conduct, but God is the causer and the mover and maker of all that takes place. We cannot read Genesis 25 as a human story of sibling rivalry. We must recognize the hand of God. You say, Pastor, I don't know why you're emphasizing God's sovereign choice in these things. It's as if you have an agenda, Pastor. I do. Here's the agenda. I tell you these things because this is exactly how the Apostle Paul referenced this same account in Romans chapter 9. Look at the screen. When Rebecca had conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, For the children, the twin boys, not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you. Here's the point. That my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore I will have mercy on whom he wills and on whom he wills he hardens. Folks, what do we do with this story of sibling rivalry? The bowl of soup and the birthright and some of the chicanery that's happening here. God has providentially ordered and arranged all of the events of ancient history and all of the events of our current news cycle so that we can have confidence that God is God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And even when we read of and we study the the human players and point to human cause and effect, it is God's plan for the ages that are unfolding. And even if it appears that injustice is occurring because of the cunning and the corruption of man, and it disgusts us, think current events. Pick your current events. Know that God is working to accomplish his purposes, to fulfill his promises. God's plan for the ages is being accomplished here in Genesis 25 and today in the Middle East and today in the United States of America and today in each of our own lives. It doesn't always make sense. It seems wrong, but we can trust him. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this Old Testament narrative. Lord, we now in hindsight, we understand the wisdom of it all, the genius of it all, your hand at work in it all. And we're grateful for that. But Lord, often in real time, in the here and now, we're troubled because of the injustice, the chaos, the conflict that exists in our own lives. And we wonder what you might be doing May we throw ourselves onto your sovereignty, your sweet providence, and trust you in it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.